Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Well, hi again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Inside Curling with me, Jungle Jim Jerome, and the one and only Kevin Martin, and certainly the one and only Warren Hansen. You know what, Warren? There's nobody else like you. Jim, I was okay. going to say the same about you. So <laughs> I still feel nervous when I'm, I'm dealing with Warren. What's going to happen? Uh, what's going to happen is we got another show we're going to unfold, boys, and uh, there's lots to talk about. Curling hasn't stopped. Stick around. We'll bring you up to speed. Last Rock. Eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Okay, off we go. Uh, we would first like to recognize all of our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Coyote Tractor is the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics, which they always are. And uh, Kevin, you got a story today from our story time. Meridian uh, brings you that. Uh, and we've got a guest. It's Matt Dunstone, and that's brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment. So here's what's on the show. What's happening around the curling world? The mixed doubles are in Geneva. They started on uh, April 23rd. Of course, the World Seniors is also happening there in Geneva. There's not just conferences in Geneva. Okay, there's curling. Of course, we get email each and every week. Uh, and if we read yours, you're going to get a copy of Warren's book. Insidecurling at gmail.com is where you can get a hold of us. Okay, let's do it. What's happening around the curling world brought to you by Sports Interaction, providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. you got to be 19 years old to play, and we want you to play responsibly. Warren, bring us up to speed. What's going on in Geneva? Okay, Jim, here we go. So this is a, a little complicated, so I'll explain exactly what's happening with the World Mixed Doubles. There's 20 teams involved, and they've been put into two pools of 10 each. And they're going to play a round robin, which they're into now. And at the end of that on Friday, three teams are going to qualify from each pool. I won't go into details of how that whole playoff is going to operate but it will all start on Friday morning in Geneva. At the moment, let's take a look at the pool that Canada's in first, which is Pool B. I think things are pretty cut and dried there as we sit right now. The three dominant teams in Pool B are Scotland, Canada, United States. Scotland is 5-0, Canada is 4-1, and the United States is 4-1. And And as we look at below that, Czech Republic 3-2, Hungary 3-2, England, Germany, Austria, Spain, Turkey. I don't see much changing there. Canada had a bit of a tough game against Scotland. Of course, that's a pretty uh, awesome team, Eve Muirhead and Lammy. And they're 5-0, and Canada 4-1, U.S. 4-1. Matt Hamilton and Becca Hamilton are the U.S. team. That's the one tough game Canada has left. They played them in the last round of the round robin. So that could be very much determining who's going to be in second place and who's going to be in third. But I think Pool B is, uh, is not going to change too much, I don't think. And interesting enough, in Pool A, things are a little different with the Italian team. Mosh Masoner is not playing with them because he's apparently injured. And Sebastiano Arman is uh, filling in for him. He actually plays second on the Rotanos team that uh, won the uh, bronze medal in the men's world. So that's the Italian team with uh, Stefani still throwing last rock. Watched her throw a couple of absolutely spectacular shots yesterday. And I think it's quite amazing that this team is rolling along again. They're at 5-1. and one. Behind them are a bunch of countries at 4-2. and two. Japan, Norway, Switzerland, Sweden, all at 4-2. and two. And so that's pretty much up in the air at the moment. Uh, I think Denmark at 3-3, three and three, and then Estonia, Finland, Korea, and New Zealand, I think are pretty much out of it. The Pool A is going to be a little more uh, 
cloudier as to who's going to be in the final uh, playoffs than I think Pool B. So, Kevin, I don't know if you had a chance to to watch much of this. The timing is really difficult, but uh, what's your opinion of it so far? Well, my opinion, actually, it's a, it's great to see uh, once again Italy near the top, and and as to your point, Warren, not the same team. Well, Stevania is the same, but a different guy. But when you look at the uh, at Joel Retornez's team play, and you've got Emosh at third and Sebastiano at second, they're the two guys that are like six foot five, and they're both about. 260 and there's not an ounce of fat on either of them like these guys are just mountains and they're both super strong sweepers i'm not sure who is the strongest sweeper i'm sure they'd both say they are but um on that team so what i do see happening is that the mixed doubles game has certainly become a sweepers match the top teams seem to have incredible sweeping and i think that's something that i think we need to look at you know, to watch and pay attention to going forward, the ability to get behind the stone, sweep both ways strong, be it an outturn or an intern, keeping the rock straight or have it curl, whatever the case may be. And of course, fitness, obviously. Uh, fitness is a huge part of mixed doubles. So that's rather than talk about the, because I agree with you, group B is kind of done. Group A is a mess. That's going to take a while to ring itself out. But just the athleticism of, of what's needed to be a top mixed doubles team is becoming quite clear, I think. And, and that's, uh, I think, proven by Team Italy with uh, be it Amash or Sebastiano. Warren, the World Seniors is also there. Um, first of all, how old do you have to get to to be a senior in curling? Actually, not that old. 50, same as in golf, for you to become a senior. So uh, Kevin's never played seniors. Maybe he should try it out. Yeah, why don't, why don't you give it a world, Kevin? <laughs> You busted 50 a long time ago, didn't you? you <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I busted 50 a while ago, that's for sure. No, I, I, I doesn't that doesn't interest me very much. No, I, uh, I like where I am right now. Yeah, the seniors is in your rearview mirror. You're a master's guy. Okay, that's the next level. It's isn't master's, it? yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Warren, what's going on there uh, with the world seniors? Well, let me try and bring you up to date as best I can. This is a little bit confusing as to how this is whole structured, but I think because of COVID, the World Federation has probably pretty much said anybody that wants to send a team to World Seniors can do so. So we have a, a couple of strange numbers. We've got 13 in the women's side, and I think 21 in the men's. But let's take a look at the women's side first. 13 teams. They've divided seven into one pool, six in the other. At the end of the round, Robin, uh, three teams from each pool will advance to the playoff. The group winners go directly into the semifinals. The other four teams play in two qualification games. And the winners of those games, of course, advance to the semifinals. So let's take a look at the moment. Pool A, I think, is more or less the toughest one at the moment. That's where Canada is. Canada is being led by Sherry Anderson and her team from Saskatchewan in this particular event. And at the moment, Scotland in that A pool is on top. But Canada's just behind. Scotland's 3-0. Canada's 3-1. And then Ireland and Sweden are at 2-2, two and two, Czech Republic 1-2, Denmark 1-2, and, and Italy 0-3. Oh in the other pool, interesting country that's at the top of the heap in Pool B is Latvia at 3-0, and, oh, and behind them is Switzerland at 2-1. and one. So that's kind of where things are sitting at the moment. Same as mixed doubles, this whole thing gets into playoff round on uh, Friday, and the winner is declared on Saturday. The senior men's side, a little more complicated in the fact that we now have 21 teams in Three groups, so seven in each group. At the end of the round robin, each group will be ranked one to three. The top teams will advance to the quarterfinals along with the two third-place teams. They're going to use the draw shot challenge to determine which two are going to advance. So I think that's kind of an interesting uh, twist as to how they're going to do that. The semifinals and finals and the bronze medal game uh, will go Friday and Saturday. Canada is led in this uh, particular event by Wade White. And one interesting note from this event uh, I picked up here a couple of days ago, Scotland actually defeated Nigeria by a score of 21 to 3. I'm not sure how that happened. Anyway, in Group A, that's where Canada is. Uh, they're doing very well at the moment, along with the United States. They're both at 4-0. and And then Italy is coming in at 3-1. and The other teams in Pool A are pretty much out of the contest at the moment. In Pool B, Sweden is on top at 3-0. and And then a number of teams at 2-1, and one, Czech Republic, Ireland, and Switzerland. And in Group C, Germany is leading the pack at 3-0, and oh, and Scotland's right behind them at 3-1. and one. So that's how things are going in the World Seniors. A little complicated, and again, that'll all wrap up on Saturday. How, how long has the World Seniors been going on, Warren? 
roughly? Roughly, I, I would guess probably about 10, uh, 15 years, I, I believe, by my memory. I think it started around 2006, 2007, if, uh, if I can remember properly. Okay, uh, Kevin, before we leave, what's happening around the curling world? Uh, update on Taryn Zoni's team? Well, yeah, you know, it's just something we need to talk about, I think. And that's, uh, of course, uh, Sylvana Terenzoni with Alina Petz, Esther Nguyen-Schwander, and uh, Melanie Barbazat, uh, four-time world champions and just such a strong rink. And, and the front end have decided to go about their own uh, life and their own business. And uh, uh, there'll be a big change at the front end for uh, Alina and Sylvana, who say they're going to continue on. But uh, that's quite the trial opportunity for people in, in Switzerland. But a huge congratulations to that team. Many years of being champions and just such a good team. And uh, you know what? That, 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 both Melanie and Esther, but Esther, what a fantastic player. And um, she, you know, she's led at the second position for a long, long time. Such a strong sweeper, and uh, she just shoots ninety. Just shoots ninety all the time, and just uh, terrific teammates. Uh, her and uh, her and Melanie at the front end. But anyway, you know things can't last forever. But we wanted to just you know thank them and congratulate them here from Inside Curling on what a career. And uh, but guys, I got one other thing I've got to announce too is that here in Alberta we had in Vegreville at the Heather Curling Club in Vegreville a Vell Sweeting Day on Saturday, April 23rd. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So, you know, congratulations to Vell on that. Uh, a community about uh, one hour east of, of Edmonton, and that's where Vell's from. And uh, The big egg. The big, that's right. The, the second biggest Ukrainian Easter egg in the world. Right. I thought it was the biggest. So I looked it up and it isn't. I don't know where and I don't know where the biggest one is. But anyway, Vel, uh, congratulations! It's great to see the curling clubs. You know, for the last couple of years, clubs have been closed and then open for a bit, and it's tough to have celebrations for your champions from all these clubs. So I just want to put a shout out to the Heather Curling Club and to Vel Sweeting on the Vel Sweeting Day in Vegreville. You're back to Terenzoni. Didn't you win three three in a row now? And the, and the and the team switching up. Yes, nothing says more like we got to break our team up than winning a bunch of world championships. But I, I don't think it's a fact of actually changing it up. It's uh, I think that uh, Melanie Barbazad is a physiotherapist. Right, she has her own company, I think, and and they're busy people. And you know, it's just uh, hard to compete at the highest level forever. And at some point, you have to make a decision. It's you know time to retire, and that that's okay. Right, that's the nature of curling. It seems. Thanks a lot to Sports Interaction. Uh, if you like to lay a little bet on some sports, check out Sports Interaction. And they jumped into the curling world this year, as we all know. So thank you to uh, Sports Interaction for bringing us what is happening around the curling world. Hot Rock Topics. Coyote Tractor brings you that. They're a proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs and the Grand Slam of Curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. Uh, this has been brought up before. Uh, what we're talking about is uh, the interesting thing about curling. They have a custom no other sport has that I can think of uh, that you can actually concede a game before the 10th end <laughs> or before, before the five predetermined ends, whatever it is, 8 or 10. And what's that all about? Is it, is it fair? Uh, Warren, you think maybe it is at the club level, but should we be doing this at the highest level of curling? Uh, wh- what are your thoughts, Warren, on that? It's had an interesting history, something few people would probably know, that during the years of McDonald Tobacco sponsoring the Briar, the games were 12 hands long, but also you had to throw every single rock in every game. And they were absolutely uh, religious on that one. No one quit early. No one even tried to. So if you look back into history, you see some pretty wild scorers at some of those Briar games, 19 to 3 and 21 to 2. And, and that was why, because you had to throw every rock of every game. In 1980, Things changed up until 1979. McDonald Tobacco were in charge. This was their rules. Canadian Curling Association had little to say in it. But in 1980, things changed when Labatt came in as a title sponsor. Canadian Curling Association became responsible for everything between the boards. They allowed, in 1980, after eight ends, you could concede the game. And then, of course, that has continued through times. There's been various things happened at the Canadian level, whether it was eight, whether it was six, whether it's round robin, whether it's playoffs, same thing at the world. And so today you've got a situation with most of these world events. In the round robin, you can quit after six ends. In the playoffs, it's eight ends. In the Canadian events, you can now quit round robin at six. Playoffs, semis at eight. I think final games at 10. But the interesting thing about all this is it's probably the issue of dividing the game between the recreational and the fun part of it and the and the aspect of it that's showcased. Because you've got fans in the stands and you've got a television network. 
And the television network is probably the most difficult one to deal with here because if you look into Canada, United States, we are dealing with commercial television where ads are sold around telecasting. And in a sport of curling, it's per end. And as soon as somebody concedes a game after eight ends, you've whacked off two ends of commercial inventory. Boom. The other thing you are creating, depending upon where that game sits in the whole scheme of things, you may be leaving that television network hanging. They've booked in three hours of time, and all of a sudden this game ends after two and a half hours, and maybe there's nothing else to go to. What are they going to do for the next 30 minutes, never mind losing the airtime? On the other side of the coin, people have paid to come in the building, and they may come in the building. They want to watch Kevin Martin play. They've never seen him play. And whether he's up 10 or down 10, they still probably want to see him throw. Just like if, if you go to a golf event, same thing. You want to see Tiger Woods. Also understand the issue. You know you're not going to win. How do you put any heart back into what's going on in the balance of that game? I've thought about this many times Maybe come up with a situation in a round robin where how many points you score is going to have an influence. Maybe in the playoffs, there's money attached to how many points they, you score. And I'm not totally sure what the solution to it is, but I know at the world level where they're trying to get into new broadcast markets, this is one of their big concerns with this no extra end games in a round robin is a broadcaster knowing exactly when the game is going to be over. Well, yeah, you know, it is, it's unique to curling, being able to to have the Velcro rip and shake hands early. Um, I guess the trouble part I see coming forward is the gambling part. Say you're in the seventh end and you're up three and sitting three and the skip's going down to throw the draw for four and the other team goes, just shakes hands. And and that might be the, the difference of the over-under or uh, whatever the case may be, amount of points scored, depending on how you're betting, how many ends it took to win or lose the game, all these different things. It's kind of murky all of a sudden, you know. So yeah, that that puts a bit of a, a wrench into it, maybe. The game, I think curling is certainly going to eight ends. Uh, I don't think there's much arguing about that. It's just a matter of when. An eight-end game is only a little over two hours anyway, so can you finish off the last end or two? That's going to be a discussion that has to be had. Do I know the absolute answer? I do not. But it is a concern being able to end a game that's being bet on early. That's got to be discussed. Right. You bring up an interesting point, Kev. I don't mind laying the odd bet. And in, in baseball, when you do it, there's always a caveat there that says, but the game must go this many innings. It's usually, it's, it's got to go six or seven innings for you to cash your bet. But if a team's getting wiped out, okay, they don't use any of their pitchers. They bring in like a center fielder, right, to pitch. I saw it the other night, you know, and this guy's fastball was about... 32 miles an hour, Kev. <laughs> it's hilarious when they do it. So anyway, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, get, I like what you said, though, Warren. You know, you could add points. Maybe you have an aggregate score like soccer. Maybe instead of the draw shot to the button, you you, you have to have, you know, more points than anyone else. So, Or you take the points scored versus the points scored against. And uh, I'm just throwing that out there is maybe this is how you uh, determine the ties uh, rather than the draw shot challenge. I don't know. Topic for a good discussion. Yeah, we're going to ask our, our guest, Matt Dunstone, about that too and see what he says. Hot Rock Topics, thank you very much to Coyote Tractor. Let's whip along to our mailbag segment. If we read your email, you're going to get a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones. It is brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost. I use this, by the way. Convenient meal replacement drinks with a taste you're guaranteed to love. We got an email from Marla Forth, who brings up a few things she wants uh, your reaction on, fellas. Uh, she says, I keep noticing certain sweepers in the elite curling events are snow plowing in front of the rock, especially when they are just keeping it clean. I wonder, I wondered if that is now allowed or is it okay in uh, club curling as well? I thought there always had to be a little bit of a back and forth motion, although I guess what is most important is that they don't lift the room directly in the path. So let's uh, start with that first. And then this email is broken up a little bit. So what do you say, Warren, to that part? Well, that's pretty simple to answer, Marla. This was at one point in time uh, a, a rule that had all kinds of caveats attached to it as to the motion had to be back and forth and it had to finish away from the path. But today the rule is pretty simple. The motion can be whatever you desire. The only thing that has to happen is the final motion has to be away from the path of the rock. So it has been simplified considerably from what it once was and, and that's the way it, it sits today. Are you a snowplower, Kev? Snowplowing in front of the rock? It's by design now. A lot of players, actually, Oscar Erickson, uh, one of them that's very, very good at it. I know Brad and Carrick use it a lot, and that's a hard clean early, the first half of the sheet. You see, actually, Oscar will go at least a half a sheet when they need to have the rock 
carry really, really well. You save a ton of energy and you're not losing any of the advantage of being able to drag the rock uh, with the hard clean to start. Uh, and what happens when you do that, you have that hard clean and then the rock gets near the breaking point in front of the hog line. And then you sweep hard when the when the weight comes off the rock, so that's kind of the by design actually, and it and it works. There's been lots of testing done, where if two sweepers go from hog line to stop, or if you hard clean halfway and then go hard to stop, the rock actually doesn't go any further with the with the sweeping hard from pillar to post. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting uh, science with sweeping. So that hard clean actually is an energy saver for the sweepers, and that's why it's done a lot. And that's been just a ton of testing done on that exact scenario. And probably the guy who, who you notice the most is, uh, is Oscar that does that. And Rasmus, too. Oscar is really good at it. Barlar goes on to ask whether it is possible for a player to sweep in a game and not throw any rocks. The only reason I ask is because Kevin mentioned that Nick Adine might have said he wasn't sure if uh, Christopher Sundgren was going to just be sweeping in the Players' Championship. Uh, who knows the answer to that? Well, I can jump in there because uh, there was a point in time when a player could sweep but didn't have to throw. And back in the days of McDonald tobacco with the Briar, you couldn't have a player substitution, but you could drag anybody you wanted out of the stands to sweep for you. But that has come to an end. Uh, we now have a situation where to be on the ice with a team at any point in time, you have to throw rocks. And if you're not throwing rocks, you can't be there. So you can't be there and just be the skip and you can't be there and just be the sweeper that you must be involved in the game by throwing stones. So that's changed what it once was, and and that's where it sits today. You ever played in a game, Kevin? You went, okay, I don't want our guy throwing rocks anymore. I'm just going to get him to sweep. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say it or did I think it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm knowing you. You know, if I know you, for sure you thought it, and for sure you would have said it. Also, uh, here's another thought from Marla. Along the same lines. This thought also got me wondering if it would be allowed for someone to call a game but not throw any rocks in a game due to, say, an injury. Is it possible for the third to deliver the last two rocks and the lead and second deliver three rocks each while the skip only holds the broom and calls the game? Who knows the answer to that? As we no, said, it's in my last answer, no, you can't do that. And there, there was a time that you could. I, I can remember my old skip, Hector Gervais, who from time to time was having uh, fairly bad sciatica problems. We played a, a, a few games where he skipped, <laughs> but never threw a rock. But uh, you can't do that anymore, so that's not not allowed. Boy, can you imagine Hector? He would have been grumpy. He was always grumpy. He was grumpy <laughs> on the best day. But it was, <laughs> 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 like, a, like the old Thor, the thorn in the, the bear's paw. Man, oh man, I wish I would have met Hector, man. There are so many. This guy's name comes into every topic. It's just like, uh, it's great. <laughs> He's a beauty. Kevin says he was grumpy, but he was uh, he was very funny. He had, he had an uh, unbelievable sense of humor. And uh, I could tell uh, Hector Gervais funny things probably for about a, a whole show. Uh, thank you very much to Nestle Boost for bringing you mailbag. We appreciate that. If you want to get your email read, you got to send us one first. And uh, Marla is going to get a copy of Warren's book, Sticks and Stones, about curling and how it got to the Olympics. And yes, of course, we have a guest uh, brought to you by Goldline Curling Equipment. They can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus our retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event, and they can be found online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Our guest today, uh, I love this nickname, he's called The Sheriff. Okay, and that might even be better than the bear, Kevin, okay, uh, having the sheriff. He's been to the Briar four times. He's medaled a couple of times. He's been to the World Juniors a couple of times. He's medaled there. He won the 2019 Masters, beating Brad Gushu. He's seventh, ranked seventh. If you need a mortgage, okay, you can get a, you can get a mortgage from him. But more importantly, I like this idea where he's been in the fold. Every time you guys talk about these events on our show, his name always comes up, okay, about who to watch for. Imagine being a veteran at 26 years old, okay? <laughs> and 
There he is knocking at the door. Come on in, Matt Dunstone. How are you, man? Hey, not too bad. How are you doing? Good. Did you like that intro? That was an awesome intro. Couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself. Got, got the little mortgage plug in there, too. I appreciate that. I, I got that for you. Jim was up all night putting that together. Yeah, I was putting that together. Yeah, <laughs> rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed. Uh, living in Kamloops. Right now you're in Winnipeg. You've curled for Manitoba. You've curled for Saskatchewan. We're trying to keep track. Bring us up to speed on what's going to happen now with you over the next little while. Yeah, obviously, it's uh, it's been pretty busy times in the curling world. Pretty common knowledge now that I'm going to be heading back to Manitoba there with uh, BJ Newfeld, Colton Lott, and, and Ryan Harden. So, uh, you know, obviously pretty excited and, and excited to get back to, to Manitoba here. That being said, I was... Uh, I'm very appreciative of, of what the, the, the five years I got to got to spend in Saskatchewan. Um, it's it's really all I ever kind of know uh, in the men's side of curling. So I'm uh, I'm definitely going to miss my time there. Uh, miss the guys uh, I got to play with, and uh, you know, just very thankful that uh, uh, that I got to spend the the amount of time I did there. Yeah. How premeditated was this creating a new team and breaking up the old team and 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 coming forward with this squad? Uh, you know, not uh, not really at all. Um, it's it's really crazy how it all works. I mean, come Monday, Tuesday after the Briar, it uh, it's just absolute mayhem, and and you start hearing of of guys who are going to step back. You know, the can of worms that that opens, obviously, in in Brad Jacobs' situation, right? Kind of specifically, and and then it just goes from there. Um, you know, it uh, it was it was quite a hectic uh, seventy two hours, I guess, when it, when it was all said and done. Everything was kind of figured out in seventy two hours there. Uh, when you look back at your career, and then we'll bring the boys in, because you had a big event yourself that you put on, you started to accomplish things at a very young age and then started to knock off getting to the worlds and getting to the briar. Um, so you can probably tell by by reading your bio that that perhaps your goals changed over your life. Are you a goal setter, Matt? And and have you been achieving what you've wanted to achieve so far? Yeah, for sure. And and like you said, like those goals change, um, you know, over the course of course of someone's career I mean looking back 10-15 years ago um, as, a, as a younger junior if you would have told me I got the chance to even throw a rock in the briar um, you know I would have been jumping for joy and and that sort of thing but you know now that been super fortunate enough to play in four of them now and, and come as close as we have a couple times um, that goal has obviously changed uh, into winning the briar now um, so it's just really funny how how you know things change over over the years. Speaking of goals, you could try and knock off some of Kevin's records. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> Got a long ways to go still. As the records are for, they're, they're meant to be broken. Where do we start? Where do we start? You know what? I, I want to go back into your junior days, and I want to hear your thoughts on the 2016 World Junior. At the time, I'm sure everybody didn't realize what the Final Four meant to curling going forward in the end you ended up getting a bronze in 2016 juniors but the gold medalist was bruce mowat silver Corey dropkin out of the u.s who put on quite a show in vegas at the worlds and fourth place the guy you beat in the bronze game yannick schwaller who is now the, the the top team in switzerland take yourself back to 2016 and could you ever dreamt how strong of a final four that was even then we kind of knew just obviously with the the how good everybody was we kind of knew this was going to be the next wave obviously being involved in it we had a better idea than than maybe an outside outsider looking in would and you know guys you didn't even get to mention there in that same world juniors was rasmus rana magnus ramsfell from norway there so i mean there there was guys that didn't even make the playoffs that are now olympic gold medalists <laughs> so uh you know it, it it was it was one heck of a field and you know we we got to play against each other a lot in juniors um you know we had a couple junior super spiels in canada that bruce and, and yannick would make their way over to and, and there was junior spiels just south in the states that we would go down to and get to battle it out with Corey all the time so we got to play against each other quite a bit um, which typically in juniors, you don't really get to play outside of your province all too much. But, you know, we were fortunate enough to get to play those teams quite a bit. And we, we all knew going into the World Juniors uh, how big of a bloodbath uh, that 2016 Juniors was going to be. And, um, you know, it, uh, it was a lot of fun to battle it out. Uh, you know, we, very first game of the event, we, we took it to Corey pretty good. And we, we thought we were in a good spot. But little did we know, we ran into Bruce Mowat and we gave up a three ball and a steal to lose in nine and ten. So that, <laughs> that uh, just, just kind of showed us that we were, we were totally in one for that week. Good. Let's go forward now to uh, what will be your new team with BJ Colton and Ryan. I don't know, I don't really want to hash out the, how you got together, but I would like to talk about your schedule going forward and, and how much you're going to play, where you're going to play, what your plan is as far as the team goes that way. 
Yeah, you know, really haven't dug into the actual scheduling of it all too, too much. Um, you know, really just because we don't know when events are yet. Um, every Everything's still kind of getting hashed out on that front. And obviously the the other two, BJ and Ryan, still got a slam to play. So their season's not even quite done yet. Just kind of putting a little bit more emphasis on the practice side of things and and not playing nearly as much is probably a direction I can I can sort of see us going. Obviously, you got to play a little bit because, I mean, as a new team, um, the only way you're going to figure out what you really got to work on is, is going out there and playing. You know, I, I think it's going to be spending a lot of time in Manitoba together and trying to find find a way to get all four of us throwing the exact same and, and taking a lot of the guesswork. And, and the earlier we can kind of hammer that out, likely the better uh, for the longevity of the team. And, and you know, the fact uh, that, that three, three or four of us, uh, you know, throw, throw pretty darn similar, I think, is, is a huge advantage to us. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's get into a little bit of that because so you're going to continue to live in Kamloops, I imagine. Yes, going forward and then but your teammates BJ will be in Winnipeg Colton Winnipeg and Ryan in in Northern Ontario I assume yes that that is correct yep so I guess the, the, the training schedule is something I wanted to get into a little bit and then this is becoming more and more common I think Matt teams from quite a few different areas and and the ability to get together or the difficulty of getting together for training camps so to your point uh, throwing it the same, which is, you know, I think Bruce Mallet has really set that table even more than anybody else where they practice so hard to release the rock the exact same so that it's very predictable out of hand. So I guess how's that going to occur? Yeah, for sure. And then that's obviously something we talked about when we were putting this team together. And, and you know, the ability to get together is going to be something that's that's going to be very easy for this team. I got a place in Kamloops, but, you know, in Kamloops, I've got a I've got a partner who curls herself, who's obviously very understanding with with everything and, and understands what what I'm trying to do in, in the sport with my team. So and I got a ton of family in, in Winnipeg here. So uh, I've already got a place kind of figured out um, to, to kind of rent out in, in Winnipeg here. So I'm going to be spending more than enough time uh, in Winnipeg for sure in, in the coming years here, um, which is obviously welcomed on my end. We'll find ways to get Ryan in and, uh, you know, obviously all stuff we're going to have to hash out here, but, you know, sort of the original logistics are, are already set in place where it's going to be very easy for us to get together. Yeah, I think that's really important that you can uh, that you can do that. And, and for you, of course, Winnipeg, you, you, you're from Winnipeg, so that's pretty comfortable to be back home anyways when it comes to training and the clubs and which clubs you want to train at uh, and so on. Yep, exactly. And, and you know, that was sort of a big, big thing for me being in Kamloops and, and playing in Saskatchewan didn't leave a whole, whole lot of time for me to get back to Winnipeg. And obviously, I mean, family's a huge part of life as well. So now, now I get to kind of kill two birds with one stone here with the curling and the family side of things. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that for me is, is a very exciting part of all this as well. Okay, Matt, let's uh, shift gears just slightly here. And something just ended this weekend in Saskatoon called the Best of the West. And this was an event that I think you were the guy who initiated it. You want to tell us uh, what was the Best of the West and who won it, won it and how'd the whole thing go? Yeah, it, uh, you know, hard to believe we, we got it off the ground and running. You know, it's it's one of those things we started talking back, uh, you know, right in the, the middle of COVID, you know, where everyone had too much time on their hands, everyone was bored and and just looking for, for things to do and talk about. Uh, so we, we started talking about this uh, kind of back in November, December of 2020, actually. Um, me, Ryland Clyder and Dustin Mickish, um, the, the three of us, you know, started talking and, and, you know, just trying to figure out how we can try and make the sport better any which way. Um, and then, you know, push came to shove and we, and we finally said enough was enough and let's actually go and do something. So in December 2020, we came up with the Best of the West, now the SGI Canada Best of the West. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we partnered up with the Nutana Curling Club. Um, they, they wanted to host us there. And, and from there, it just uh, full steam ahead. It was a lot of work. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a brand new appreciation for every single person that's ever put on an event um in their life <laughs> if, if there's anybody if there's anybody out there that i've ever given a hard time to that's run an event i want to go on the record and say i totally apologize because i obviously did not understand uh, you know what it takes um but you know what it, it was so worth it um after getting to do what we did last weekend and we had three big winners there uh, corinne brown's rank won the women's side and ryland clyder uh happened to uh to win his own event on the men's side that's pretty exciting for him and then uh had a little fun on the double side and, and Sam Wills and Garrett Springer, Saskatchewan, were able to, to win the double side as well. So, um, you know, overall, I, I think it was a huge success talking to the curlers. They, they seem to enjoy it. We're going to send out a survey this week um, just to kind of get a feel for, for what everybody thought. And, and you know, we, we totally hope that this becomes an annual thing. 
couple of questions. You said the double side, and from what I was uh, looking at, was this uh, open? You could play men, women, two men, two women, or how did you have that structured? There was eight teams total, four women's doubles teams and four men's doubles teams. So they were in their own divisions playing against each other around Robin. And then the top two in each of the pools played in a semis. So the two women's teams played in a semi and the two men's teams played in a semi. Um, And that way we obviously guaranteed that there would be one of each gender in the final. Um, So we had Sam Wills and Garrett Springer against Kelsey Rock and Danielle Schmiemann in the final. So how did that go, uh, men's doubles, women's doubles? Do you see that as being something of the future? I'm not sure. We wanted to have a little bit of fun with it, kind of see how it went. And, and, you know, obviously based on the final, like it's pretty darn close when it's all said and done. I mean, we had an extra end final between Kelsey and Danielle and Sam and Garrett. So, I mean, it was, a, it was an amazing final. So I'd love to see a day where, where maybe you try something like this out and it is same gender doubles um, just to, to kind of see. But, you know, at the same time, they, they got a pretty good thing going with the mixed doubles as well. And obviously that's growing at, growing at a rapid pace too. Yeah, no, I think uh, men and women's doubles is also something that, that does have a future. Hey, Matt, uh, one thing that you did uh, unique in the best of the West, unlike mixed doubles that we see on TV at the Olympics and so on, is you actually had six rocks, not five. Usually it's the one player will throw the first and the last, the other player the second, third, and fourth. But in this case, you went with six rocks per team. I just got to ask, how did you do it? And what was the response from the athletes? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, we, we tried to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, and, you know, in any other discipline of curling, you know, it's everyone throws the same amount of rocks. So, I mean, the the five rock thing in the doubles, I, I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with it, but it is a little bit strange just because in any other discipline, you are throwing the same amount of rocks. So, um, you know, how we did it was uh, you would throw uh, rocks one and two and five and then three and four and six. Um, and we didn't change any other rules with the doubles. We just went six rocks. You know, you have your same stationary stones, the one power play there and, and just had a little bit of fun with it. I mean, there, it made for, made for a lot of fun ends. It looked like every single rock was in play. I, I was uh, very interested to watch the doubles. And I remember the, the first end of the first draw, both the games that were going on, there was about a hundred rocks. It looked like uh, all gathered in the forefoot there, which I mean, I was loving that. Obviously we actually got a suggestion um, from Dan Wenzik during the event. He, he just kind of thought that the second person is still their their rocks are being weighted a little bit higher right obviously if you're throwing um the very last stone and then three and four you can, you're kind of throwing three of the last four there so he suggested where um you go one you throw the first stone and then the next person throws the next two and then the person who threw the first stone would throw uh, four and five, and then that person who threw two and three would throw six. If if you can follow along with that, I think I, if you know algebra, yeah. Here, let me simplify this. So you'd throw one, four, and five, and then you'd throw two, three, and six, which I actually like. So then it's kind of evens it out on sort of the importance, let's say, of who's throwing each each number of stones. But you know, I think the response response was well from the players. Um, there was no no complaints, anyways, about it. I mean. The, the only thing would be is the games did go quite a bit longer. There, there would be kind of a way we would need to go to, to kind of quicken the game up. We didn't have time clocks at our events uh, or at our, at our event either. So that would probably quicken it up a little bit. Um, but it definitely did take a little bit longer, obviously, with way more rocks in play. Obviously, a little bit more difficult with, with the more angles involved as well. I'm glad you try this type of stuff. That's important. You know, we talk about that all the time. Try new things and see some of it works, some of it doesn't work. It's great. Congratulations on a great event, Matt. No, thank you very much. We're uh, we're very happy with it. Um, can't wait to to get her going again next year, and and just really proud of the guys I got to work with uh, to get this off the ground and running. It uh, seems like everybody had a great time. So this event was a U thirty. So this is for people under the age of thirty. How did you come up with that number, and how did you select the teams to participate? What determined all that? Yeah, so you know the the under thirty. I mean, you you kind of look at the average age of the Briar and the Scotties competitors um, over the last you know, a couple of years and, you know, the average age is always over 30. I did this math a year or two back and it was always around 32 to 34 years old. It was kind of the average age of the Scotties and the Briars. So that's, that's kind of how we targeted that U30. A lot of these teams that are under 30 are, are teams that are just outside of the slams and obviously teams that are not getting into the Briar and the Scotties. So they're, they're kind of right in that middle area, that middle gray area where they, they get the pre-trials, they, they maybe make one or two slams every couple of years sort of thing. So they're right in that middle area. And obviously they're not getting into the Briar or the Scotties as well, because those, those fields don't seem to fluctuate too much over, over the years, um, over the last couple of years, those seem to stay the same. So they're kind of in an awkward area. 
So that's sort of how we identified that U30 area. We're going to make some adjustments to that because U30 is pretty, pretty cutthroat. And I mean, we don't want to be cutting people off their own teams as well. That's sort of the age group we identified for year one anyways. And, and, you know, we're just trying to find ways to sort of get that age group, you know, experience playing in a, in an atmosphere, wearing their provincial jackets, um, all that sort of thing. So, I mean, when, when they do eventually get to a Briar or Scotty's, it's not a, it's not a, whoa, this is our first time. Like this is, this is pretty cool. And then then they kind of just go through the motions. Like maybe it's, it's, we have those teams actually ready for, for that one time when they do get in to the Briar, the Scotty's, whatever it might be, where it's like, they're ready. Like now, now they've, they've got this experience playing on the TV, playing, um, you know, with, with fans courtside, um, which obviously you get at, at the Briar and the Scotty. So anyway, anyway, we can try and push that, that development a little bit forward. So when these teams do actually finally break through, get into those bigger events, they're, they're more ready for it as opposed to using those events um, or those, the, the first couple of times they're in those events as development. So the, the U term is thrown around quite a bit, but the two national championships as U18, U20, I guess, 20, 21, 20 at the moment, um, I've heard and seen U24, U25, U this, U that. What do you think is the uh, the ideal event? Should there actually be maybe a series of events for U30 or should it be U25? Or what, what's your thought about that whole situation? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, it likely should be a little bit younger. I mean, if, if you look at our event, for instance, a U30, you could get Bruce Mowat in there. You could get Brendan Botcher in there. You know, there's there's a whole lot of heavy hitters that you could actually slide in there. So it's it's very situational, I would say. Um, I would definitely look at something more like a, a U25 is likely because, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, the busiest time in, in one's life. Um, you know, you're just getting out of junior curling. Um, you're you're paying rent or your first mortgage. You know, you're you're in the middle of university. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a busy time in in one's life when these these people are, are got to make their decisions um, on kind of when you know they can can we continue with this curling? Do I got to focus on a career? Um, you know, that's that's sort of the big decision time, sort of in that age group. I see. Warren, were you trying to sneak into that U30 event? You you almost squeaked in there. You just missed it by 40 years. Okay. <laughs> 40. 40. <laughs> Jim, Jim, don't Jim, don't quit the day job. Okay. I got it. You know, I, I take, people don't know. I take so much stuff from you, Warren. I said every time I get a chance. I'll tell you what, Matt. Warren does a lot of work preparing for the show and stuff. And we were talking about you and. Every once in a while, we'd, we're talking about Dunstone. The name Jim would slip in. Warren would say, okay, Jim Dunstone. And I said, what's up with that? <laughs> uh, and your grandfather was a great curler. Yes, he, uh, you know, I, I remember growing up, going to the rink and, and watching him. He, he won the uh, 1980 Canadian Mixed uh, with my grandmother. When I was growing up, they had a tape of that. I got, I got worked pretty hard. I, I probably watched that game 50 to 100 times. No, no doubt. So, you know, it was uh, very enjoyable growing up in a curling family and getting to be surrounded by the rink all the time. Before we let you go, uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of guests, uh, a lot of, you know, from Adine to Mark Kennedy's to, to Goosh, Nichols and all these guys. They're, they're veteran curlers. And you're on the cusp here of when everyone seems to be talking about having to change the game. Earlier in the interview, you said, you know, what you need to do to make the sport better certainly things are going to change in the future. What do you think of the game right now, Matt? And how do you think it could be made better? Uh, you know, I, I think it's the biggest thing here is just trying to get the numbers up, like the, the numbers as a whole, um, especially in Canada. I mean, the elite game, the elite game's probably never been in a better place when it comes to the depth around the world, um, the quality of play. Um, you know, I, I think the elite game itself is in a very good place. Right now, a lot of it is our is our grassroots and our curling clubs. Um, I, I think those are the ones that are in a scary place right now, and and ones that we need to figure out ways to to get more help towards them and and bring more people into the clubs ultimately. And and I think if if we can sort of find a way in in Canada, especially, um, just to allow the the MAs to to maybe have a little bit more time to invest a little bit more time into into figuring out the the club situation and how we get numbers in right now, you know, the MA spend a lot of, a lot of their time trying to get provincial championships set up for all of our other national events. So I'd love to see curling Canada take the whole national events over and sort of the MAs can, can invest more time in, in the curling clubs and bringing up our future curlers. I, that's sort of what I see is, is the most important thing, um, you know, for curling in Canada right now. You're dead on the MA's main job should be the clubs and it isn't. And that's one of our issues for sure, without question. Matt, uh, before you go early in the show, one of our hot topics uh, uh, that we talked about was 
Curling's the only sport that you can quit before the game's over. You know, you don't have to finish all the predetermined ends. You know, if you're in the sixth end, if you're down four, five, or six, you can you can stop the game. And some fans don't like that. They're like, I paid, man, to watch these guys curl. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I think you got to be able to to quit a little bit early. I mean, the the fans did pay to come. I mean, you got to play X number of ends, obviously, ob- uh, for the fans. But I mean, you look in you look in certain scenarios too. You kind of look back at the USA Italy game there at the bronze medal, and you know you have other teams sweeping stones. You're just firing them through the rings, and not really even curling as it is. Um, when you got to play X number of ends and the game's not really close. So, I mean, it, I, I guess it depends what you want to see as a fan. I mean, if fans would prefer seeing guys kind of just going out there, having fun the last end or two and just kind of messing around and doing trick shots or whatever you want, um, then then maybe I guess we should play X number of ends. But um, I guess if you want to, if you're a fan and you want to see competitive games and, and you know, guys kind of giving it, or, giving it their all up until the very end, then maybe we should be able to. To, to quit a little bit early. I mean, I, I don't think there is a perfect solution to that um, just because, I mean, in, in curling, curling is kind of one of those unique sports when the score does get to a certain point. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. The, the, the game is, the writing is on the wall and the game is over. Matt Dunstone has been our guest, uh, the sheriff. Who gave you that nickname how, and how, how'd you get it? I, I won't go too far into detail of it, but we were in an event. Uh, it was a grand slam three, four years ago, I guess. It was kind of right at the beginning of the cycle. We were in a tiebreaker at a slam. Um, and it was it was a messy double tiebreaker. We were lucky enough to get the buy in that tiebreaker, and other two teams had to play um, in order to play us. And, and one of the guys was asking us um, if if they could do if we could if we could play X number of ends instead of instead of eight ends. And uh, you know, I I responded and said no chance. I, I know you got to play a double tiebreaker potentially, but uh, you know our game's going to be eight ends, and and if you happen to win, you're going to be playing a quarterfinal right after. So sorry, you got to play. Uh, you might have to play three games in a day, but we're going to be playing eight ends in our tiebreaker. And uh, he and he responded with, uh, "Guy beats me once, and he thinks he's the new sheriff in town." <laughs> we had a, we had a good laugh about that, and you know it kind of stuck uh, stuck ever since. Well, I'll tell you what, in my life, the sheriff has shown up at my door several times. This is the first time I was happy the sheriff was at my door. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt, thanks a million, man, for coming on. Good luck. Obviously, you're on a meteoric rise here in the curling world, and we wish you all the best. Take it easy, Matt. No, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Okay, Kevin, you're not done yet. Can't get away without story time. Brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners. And they are a proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. What do you got for us? What are you pulling out today? Well, you know what? It's a correlation between jet lag and heated toilet seats is what I want to talk about today. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> it's a natural, natural tie-in. Back in the day with uh, Walchuk and, and Carter and, and Don Bartlett. And, and uh, we're heading over to Japan to play in, a, in an event over there for Mr. Koizumi, Suzumu Koizumi, who put on an event in Okaya is actually the name of the community. And anyway, I went over about a week early to put on a ice-making school. And then the guys came over, but they only flew in the night before we started to curl. That's a big time change. We're out on the ice, we're on the end sheet, we're playing against a team, and, and it's a really fun event, like really fun. So anyway, we're out there playing, and the end of the end happens. And of course, Don Bartlett's our lead, so he has to throw the first two into the next end, and we can't find him. So... So Carter, I said, well, Carter, go find Donnie B. He's got to be somewhere laying down or something because he was so tired. Anyway, Carter finds him. He's in the bathroom. Of course, he found a heated seat. <laughs> so he's sitting, he's sitting, and his head, his head's against the oh, wall, no. snoring like crazy. So Carter, Donnie B, get up. You got to throw. So he comes out, in the, and he, his eyes are both open but barely open, right. and he throws his two right back to the john and he just sat in with his curling yeah just sat with curly pants on right on the by the heated seat right back to sleep so then the next end gotta gotta go in and drag him back out again this time only one aisle open the other eye won't open at all that's funny <laughs> but anyway you know it's just 
one of those events, you know, and, and uh, the boys flew in the, just the day before, and and uh, my goodness, it was so much fun. And I was in Okaya, and I was in around I don't know around 1999, 2000, something like that. Donnie B, yeah, that the heated seats were uh, hard to get off of. That's so funny, man. Every time you bring up that old team of yours, Kevin, in uh, in story time, you're going to talk about one of the players. Okay, it's never about any skill shot that they threw on. It's like, oh, Bartley was sleeping in a can. Uh, but <laughs> Donnie Walchuk there walked through a window. Just... We, we we have to get Walchuk on this show uh, sometime in the next couple of months because we could do a whole show with Don Walchuk without without any problem. <laughs> great great job, Kev. That's a great story. I would have had my head on the heated seat. That's where I would have rested. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, thank you very much uh, to Meridian for uh, bringing your story time. I, lo- I love that segment. So that's a wrap, boys. On the show, we want to thank Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. They look after our Facebook um, group and our Facebook page. Uh, so we ask you to join that. Check it out. It's growing all the time, and there's lots of great stuff on there. Send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com. We're good. We do that every show. And if we read it, of course, like I said, we're going to give you a copy of Warren's book. Kev, the bear, have you been hibernating? Oh, the, finally it slowed down a bit for you, didn't it, with all the curling? Oh, I got home, yeah. For, I've been home for a week, which is fantastic. Well, not quite a week yet, but almost a week. And, yes, yeah, some hibernating has been done. But Champions Cup, Champions Cup next week in Olds, and they're really looking forward to it. There's going to be a lot of teams that are, you know, their last few stones together. So it's going to be really, really exciting and kind of sad. And, and then, of course, really happy with uh, the new teams that are being set up. So... The curling's not done yet, Jimmy. It's really exciting times and olds coming up. And Warren, you're on the West Coast, so everything's always an hour earlier for you. So if you're tired, Warren, go into your bathroom and lie down. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you can get sleep in there. (laughs) Kevin Martin, Warren Hansen are two World Curling Hall of Famers. Uh, I'm Jungle Jim. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining us. And we'll be back next week with more and more talk of curling. And, of course, the olds thing is, is coming up. So it's not all done yet. Uh, We appreciate everyone listening and tuning in, and we will talk to you next time on Inside Curling. We'll see you, Kevin. We'll see you, Warren. Take it easy, Jim. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.